importantly, no more quizzes. So we are all happy. Oh, that's so sad for you. I will just randomly call you with a pop quiz. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm a science teacher. I'm Cheryl, and I slept through science. Each episode, we'll tackle a science question you may have learned in school, but can't quite remember or fully explain. And I'll take the risk of asking the dumb questions so that we can all understand the science we slept through. The bell has rung. Let's get started. Welcome to lesson 94. We are, we, uh, I don't, I don't know. What are we doing, Cheryl? We're (laughs) We're not not in a unit. unit. We're done. I'm not really running any, I don't know what's happening. What's happening? School's almost out. (laughs) School is almost out. Yeah. So it's one of those weird school days where you're like, I don't know, there's still class today, but we kind of did wrap everything up already. So like, why are we here? We're probably going to kind of be checked out, but that's fine. We are at the conclusion of our podcast, Ryan. We are. We've reached... The end. This is our last episode. Yeah. Our last lesson. Your last chance to learn. After this, all learning stops. Shut it down. No more learning. But more importantly, no more quizzes. So we are all happy. Oh, that's so sad for you. (laughs) I will just randomly call you with a pop quiz. No. No. I wouldn't you do that. You can randomly call me with fun science facts because I would love that. Okay. But no follow-up questions. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to do something today um, mm-hmm. that's different than what we've done on this podcast. In this podcast, we've spent like 20 or so minutes diving into a specific question. Yeah. Like really specific, which has been so fun. I've liked that a lot, Mm -hmm. like really diving into a topic. We're going to do the opposite of that today. (laughs) And we are going to try to cover as many questions as we can (laughs) with our remaining lesson. So. Okay. Are we, you and I are both very organized people. We have, Mm -hmm. we have a Google Doc. It has multiple little tabs going on on this big old spreadsheet. Well, it's a, it's a spreadsheet, yeah. Yes. And so the main spreadsheet page has all of our lessons and the date that we record them and the date we release them and blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then we have another little tab or worksheet within that spreadsheet that is all these like future ideas of topics mm-hmm. that we might want to cover. Few mm-hmm. from listeners, some from you, mm-hmm. some from me, just as we go about our lives and we think of things. Um, and what we're going to do today is cram for finals <laughs> by briefly covering as many of these as we possibly can. You have done no preparation for this other than no, yeah, be a science teacher. I didn't. For what twenty? Years I didn't or like that. even. Yeah, almost eighteen. I didn't even look at the spreadsheet ahead of time. I mean, obviously I've seen it and I've looked at the questions at some point in time. So it's not like I've never seen these, but it's been a while since I've looked at the list. So yeah. And I don't know how many we're going to get through. I don't know how many are on the list. I don't know which ones Mm -hmm. you're going to do. I don't know what order (laughs) you're going in. I don't know. I will. We'll have to see. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it all. Do you yes. do you want to make any guesses as to how many we're going to be able to get through? Ooh. Okay. I'm going to tell you 
the total number that is on this list. That we haven't done yet. Correct. That we haven't done yet. So we are looking at 108 questions. (laughs) That does not surprise me. Um, Okay. And this is after me going in through and deleting some as well. I I believe Um, that too. I don't 100% believe that there is not also duplicate on here somewhere. So we will find out. Um, Okay. So roughly 100 questions. Yeah. About 100 questions. And I think we're going to do like, maybe we'll do a timer of some sort. We'll be keeping our eyes on the clock at least. So we're just going to see. Yeah. So this is not time to dive deep. Ryan. No, which is going to be hard for me. not time to screen share. This no is screen time sh- okay. for brief synopses. Uh-huh. And I will, I'm going to try my very best to not ask follow-up questions unless they're like very good follow-up questions. Okay. If they're like killer, like you're like, oh no, that was actually a very good follow-up. And then maybe, maybe, but I'll okay. try to keep it brief. And I think we're just going to see how far we get. Okay. Do you have a prediction? Because I have a number in my head. Do you have a prediction? My number is 50. Okay. My number is 20. <laughs> we'll see. We might both, we will probably both be wrong, but my we'll see how it goes. I thought it was 25 and then I bumped it uh-huh. up to 50. <laughs> okay. Well, you've also looked at the questions more recently. So, yeah. and I pulled up a, a stopwatch on my uh, phone. So I'll keep so the, proud. I'll be timing it as we go. Amazing. I should probably no, I'll let you do that. That's fine. That can be your contribution other than answering all of my questions very quickly, you know. But uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're just gonna jump right in. Okay. Go for and it. We Question one. We'll see how it goes. Um, Ryan, yes. why do our ears pop on planes? Because of the changing pressure. Great. What's the deal? You wanted a short answer. Yep. No, I love it. Here we go. What's the deal with hiccups? That is your diaphragm having a spasm. But why? For the same reason that any part of your body has a spasm. It has to do with the like an imbalance sometimes in uh, specific electrolytes, but that's not the word I'm looking for. I can't remember, uh, neurotransmitters. So oftentimes potassium, it often can be related to potassium and, um, so neurotransmitters is the wrong word too. Um, ions. Yeah. But yeah. So you know how like sometimes you can get like a twitch, like the side of your eye or something like that. It's, it's a similar thing. It's just a twitch in your diaphragm, which is a muscle. Oh, that's so cool. Um, when I am tired, why is my voice deeper? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, why do onions make me cry? Because when you slice the onion, it releases some compounds that are in the onion that our eyes are extra sensitive to. And so they become aerosolized or they go up into the air and our eyes are extra, extra sensitive and tears are a way of kind of like mucus in like your nose of like flushing out things that aren't supposed to be there. So is it almost like having an allergic reaction to something as far as like your body's just like Mm. having this response Mm. or like sneezing when you breathe in dust? 
Yes, like sneezing when you breathe in dust. Allergic okay. reactions are diff a different thing because the okay. allergic reaction is an immune response. Oh, okay. And this Can I is tell you really my favorite an... definition of allergy? Yeah. An unnecessary reaction to a harmless substance. I mean, that's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good because it makes people with allergies sound ridiculous. And I love it so much. <laughs> Um, yep. why is it that when a woman is pregnant, you can tell she is through her pee? Like, why can she pee on a stick and that works? Yep. Yep. I gotcha. Uh, it's all about hormones. When, when a woman is pregnant, there are a bunch of changes that are happening internally to change like the uterus and a whole bunch of other things to make the inside of the reproductive tract able to grow a human. And a lot of those release different amounts or types of hormones, and oh. they don't just go in the reproductive system. And because the way hormones move around your body is the way anything moves around your body, the bloodstream. Um, and if there's extras, anything that's extra, what filters your blood is the kidneys. And so they filter stuff out of your blood and anything that's extra that needs to get be gotten rid of goes into your urine, your pee, and then exits your body. So it's just like so, the concentration of hormones compared to like a normal woman's. Probably, although there could be unique hormones as well. Mm. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Interesting. This is killing you, isn't it? <laughs> um, I did great on the first one. No, you're doing amazing. You're doing a great job. Um, here's one from one of our listeners, my sister Katie, that we have uh -huh. not answered. And okay. I clearly copy and pasted this one because it starts with the word in. Um, so in areas without trees, the desert, for instance, is the air okay. quality worse or is there a lower amount of oxygen since there aren't as many trees around to produce it? There's two layers to that question. The first question is, is the air quality worse? And that is kind of subjective. How are we, it, it all depends on how are we defining air quality. I mm. mean, there's not as much pollution because there aren't as many people unless oh. you're like in Vegas, I guess. Yeah. Right. Like if, unless you're in like populated desert area, but if you're like in the Sahara desert where there are huge swaths where there's no people, it's not worse air quality in that sense. Mm. But I think based on the second part of the question, she's asking about oxygen levels more so that, and maybe that as a way of determining the air quality. And while on one level, could there be lower oxygen? Again, I, I don't actually know the answer. I'm, I'm giving my best guess here. Uh, could there be lower oxygen than, say, a rainforest? Probably. However, oxygen is a gas, and a gas diffuses and spreads out in the air mm -hmm. from where there's a high concentration to low concentration. We've talked about that before. Yeah. And with winds and all of those sorts of things, the air is constantly mixing and churning. And I, I don't think that it's the case that like there are parts of the earth that have a significant enough difference in oxygen that it matters unless we're talking about elevation. 
Mm, like that okay. it would affect yeah. us as humans. So could there be a lower oxygen content in that area? I think the answer would be yes, but I don't think that it would be a big enough difference that you could tell because there's other things that affect oxygen as levels as well. Like I said, elevation, that has a pretty big impact. That's why like when you go up high somewhere, you like get winded more easily because there's actually less oxygen, but also the temperature of the air can change how much oxygen can be in it and other things. So it's more complex than just are there plants or not. Got it. So maybe it's even a similar thing to when we talked about house plants. Like if I have a house plant, mm -hmm. is it giving my house more oxygen? Like perhaps, but on such a tiny, tiny level that we're mm -hmm. never actually going to see a difference. Interesting. Yeah. That would be my guess. Got mm -hmm. it. Second question from Katie, because mm -hmm. I put these in two different ones. So this one starts on a related note. How does rain improve air quality? When it rains here, mm. the air quality gets better. And with long mm -hmm. periods without rain, air quality declines. So does the rain, mm -hmm. quote unquote, wash the air? And do the particles get captured in the raindrops? Yes, that's exactly what happens. As job, the Katie. raindrops fall through the air, they are falling through the air. And some of the stuff that's in the air goes into the water, into the raindrops. Mm. And then they land on the ground and then they flow down with everything else because the particles that are in the air that are bad for the air, if you will, are generally uh, not gases, although some of them are, but oftentimes they're solids, oh. but they're just really, really tiny, like smog and things like that, that makes like gross air that we would see and you'd be like, oh, that's gross. It that's usually or like smoke. We've had that a lot in yeah. like the end of the summer, early fall here in the Pacific Northwest and other parts of the country as well. Like that's all little tiny, tiny, tiny bits of solids, actual solids that yeah. can get them picked up, brought to the ground, and then washed into the dirt or wherever they end up going. Cool. So yeah, Katie's right. Good job, Katie. Way to um, go, Katie. Gold star. Yay. What is a brain freeze? Brain freeze, like with ice cream or when you like eat something yeah. really, really cold. Yeah. And when you say what is, you mean like what causes, like why, yeah. what's happening. Yeah. Last I checked, we don't know completely for sure what we think, what I remember reading about what we think is happening is it has to do with blood vessels that are constricting faster than they normally do. And so because your blood vessels can actually get larger and smaller and they do that on purpose to help regulate body temperature. That's why when you're really, really hot, if you have a fairer skin tone, you often will get red and flushed. That's oh. because you're, it's called vasodilation. So your blood vessels are actually getting wider to allow more blood towards the surface of your skin to release more heat from <gasps> your body. Oh and my that's gosh. also why when you get really, really cold, you can like, your lips can turn like different colors or your fingers or like they like turn white. They have less color is because that's a vasoconstriction. Your blood vessels constrict to let less blood reach the surface so that <gasps> you don't lose as much body heat. Oh my gosh. So it's just your body protecting you. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And so if you eat something cold, 
what one possibility is like in like in your mouth or like the back of your throat or something. If it's really cold, all of a sudden your blood vessels might start constricting and that can cause things like if it prevents like some of the blood flowing to your brain or like, and that's where it's like, is it actually your brain? Probably not. Like there's probably other things and it could be ridiculous furred pain and stuff like that. But I don't know for sure. And last I checked, we don't a hundred percent know for sure either. It's still interesting. It's being researched, but that's what they think it's related to. That's so cool. That's interesting. This is probably a moment where I should just put out there for the rest of the podcast that I am going without looking anything up, which means I yep. could be completely wrong for some of these things. <laughs> so if you're like, I don't think that's actually the way it works. Well, go ahead and look it up and, and double check me because I'm doing my best. <laughs> Amazing. Um, why is my bubbly bubbly? What? Um, the drink bubbly, it's carbonated. Tell oh. me about carbonation. I okay. do not understand for the life of me how carbonation works. Like I open a can and then all of a sudden there's these yeah. bubbles. What? Yep. It's a super saturated solution. What you've done is you've put more of, in the case of carbonation, it's carbon dioxide into that liquid than it is normally able to hold. And often they will do that by putting it under pressure because you can the pressure of something controls how much of that of, of another thing can dissolve into a liquid and so oh. as soon as you release that pressure so there's not pressure keeping more of that from coming out so this thing called vapor pressure every substance has a vapor pressure the uh, the pressure at which the the same amount of that substance is evaporating as is recondensing back down when that's in balance Whoa. um but so what happens is all of that carbon dioxide is already in the liquid, whether it's, you know, like a champagne or it's a LaCroix or it's a Coke or whatever, there's carbon dioxide in there. And once you release that pressure, there's more of it than what that liquid normally holds. So it starts to come out of solution and that's where the bubbles come from. And then you can also... This is not a question you're asking, but I'm adding it on as a bonus. Amazing. If you remember the big craze quite a few years ago at this point, probably at least 10 years ago, the kind of like Diet Coke and Mentos, where you would take a Mentos yes. and you would drop it yes. in, right? You can create what's called a nucleation site. If you put other things into that liquid that the, the carbon dioxide can basically latch onto, it will pull it out of the solution much faster. And so you can add things that it can attach to that'll pull it out of solution more easily and happen. that's also why like often the bubbles are like along the side not all of them oh, are but like yeah. along the side of the can yeah. or whatever because there's usually there's something that like on a molecular level it's rougher and so there's things that the carbon dioxide can oh. actually start to attach to and then once it once there's enough of it that gets all together that's where you form a little bubble and once it becomes less dense than the liquid around it up it goes Wow. That's so cool. <laughs> um, tell me about steam burns. Why are steam burns worse than the temp like the air temperature? Because steam, and I'm pretty sure we talked about this, because steam, what we call steam, is actually liquid water. 
It is when you see steam coming off of a boiling pot of water, that what you actually see are little tiny water droplets, droplets of liquid mm. water, just like a, a cloud might be droplets of liquid water. And a liquid will transfer heat much more efficiently than a gas will. And so a steam burn is oh. those are the molecules that are almost boiling temperature. They're technically not because they're oh, a liquid again, but they are right okay. around that boiling temperature and they are just slamming into your hand or your face or whatever and transferring all of that heat energy into your skin and that can burn you. So it's not quite as bad as if, let's say you were to take your hand and stick it in a pot of boiling water because there's so much more there, it's going to transfer more of that heat energy, but it's kind of like the next worst thing. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, yeah. I want to talk about caramelizing onions. Okay. Because caramelized onions are delicious. Agreed. I, I've heard that there's something like chemical that happens in the process of caramelizing, and that's why they taste yeah. different is because like something about sugars. What's yes. the deal with caramelization? So caramelization is a process uh, that happens to sugar. And I don't remember molecularly exactly what it is. Okay. I have looked it up and I have understood it, but I have not retained it. Uh, but it, it is actually a change to what's happening to the sugar. I, I think I think it's burned, but like oh. not to a certain extent. So like, uh, like that's why the vegetables. long – Yeah, exactly. You are actually – um, getting rid of some of the material and just have carbon left over. But once oh. you reach a certain level, that's when we would call it burned. That's when it starts to quote unquote taste burned. But if you yeah. just have a small amount of it mixed in with other things, that's what we refer to as being caramelized, I think. But I'm only 70% confident on that answer. Okay. So yeah, my confidence level is lower on that. All good. All good. Okay. Um, why can breathalyzer tests not be faked? Like if you're drunk. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got that. Um, I, what do you mean they can't be? Are you sure they can't be faked? I don't think they can. Like I thought like they're like foolproof. Like if your breath shows that you're drunk, then you're drunk. Like it's like it's a surefire yeah. way to know. The level of intoxication maybe well so let's take a step back what's happening is alcohol you ingest the alcohol anything that you ingest that your body absorbs goes into the blood kind of like we talked about with um whatever it was we just talked about that goes out in the urine hormones yeah right so the blood is the way you get things around your body so if you ingest something and if you're intestines absorb it it goes into your bloodstream so you ingest the alcohol your it, it gets absorbed through your intestines it goes into the blood that's why it can get to the brain and can affect you and all the feelings and all of the things so it also the blood also goes other places like 
to your lungs because that's part of the process is your blood going to your lungs. And so I believe, and this is again, where I'm like not a hundred percent confident on this one, but I believe alcohol. Well, I do know alcohol is a relatively small molecule. It's not a super big one. And I think it may just naturally diffuse from the blood into your alveoli, just like carbon dioxide does. Oh. And that because alcohol has a, it, it vaporizes really easily. Um, and so I think that's why it, it then gets exhaled from you, I, I think. And so, and then, so that's the first part is like, why can you use a breathalyzer in the first place? And then yeah. the second part is why can't you fool it? And that's the one where I'm like, ah, I would guess that there probably would be a way to. <laughs> Like to mask or like to re, but maybe not. Maybe there's no way to do that. Hmm. Um, well, I'll bet you if you had enough money, you could find a way to do that. But generally, when you're drunk, yeah, you're not. There's you don't have enough wherewithal to be sure. able to think about how to do those things or to do them well, right. Well, that's probably or whatever. why it's relied upon. Then is like yeah. that it's yeah, yeah different than like but, the other aspects. But typically, yeah. they don't do. Typically, you don't just do a breath breathalyzer, right? Like they'll, a, if a cop pulls you over, they're going to have you do a number of tests and like sure. all together, I yeah. would think. But the breathalyzer yeah. is a way to know what your blood alcohol content is, right? Yeah. Like what your level of intoxication is versus whether or not you're intoxicated. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, why is my hair turning gray? Like me specifically. Because you're getting older. Okay, got it. Cool. Sorry, Cheryl. What, okay, why does hair turn gray? <laughs> well, what's happening is the the reason your your hair is brown is because the follicles, which are the ba- at the base of your hair that makes the hair where it grows and new cells and things, it makes pigment molecules. We've talked a lot about pigment molecules. Yeah. yeah. Right. Melanin specifically is one of the mm-hmm. ones that makes things brown. Um, it it puts your hair follicles as you get older, stop making melanin. Oh, it's as simple and so as that. Your, mm-hmm, so your hair starts to lose its color because you're not producing melanin. That's also partly why it happens in different places at different rates is because oh. each follicle doesn't do it all at once. It's just mm. this follicle now isn't making melanin anymore. So there's no color being produced there. And then yeah. this one isn't, and then this one isn't, and then this one, you know? And so as you get older, more and more of your follicles are no longer producing melanin Wow! to go into your hair. That's really cool. Um, what is plant sex? Uh, reproduction. Plants reproduce sexually, which means to reproduce sexually means for two different individuals of a particular species to combine their genetic information to make a genetically unique offspring. And so plants, humans do that, obviously. Other mammals do that. Most of the organisms that you can think of that you are most familiar with produce a reproduce sexually and plants do as well. And so you talked about allergies earlier. Yeah. Uh, those people who are allergic to pollen, I don't remember if we've talked about this or not, but pollen is plant sperm. Oh, 
Okay. Amazing. So those those of us, myself included, who have allergies to different pollens are allergic to the plant sperm. Uh, okay. And so those those ones in particular are usually wind dispersed. So they're dispersed through the air mm. and they blow to another tree nearby or whatever. And then hopefully that pollen lands on whatever the particular receptacle is on the, the other plant that it can then go to the ovaries because plants have ovaries, not in the same way that we think of them with humans, but yes, and create eggs, which become seeds. And then- yeah. You've got a new organism. Cool. Interesting. Um, how, how is wood possibly nutritious to bugs? What, what is what the mean? deal? How are you mean like termites or something or yeah, like a beetle, like eating a tree, things like that. What? How is that nutritious? Like, how is that what they need? Because they have different uh, enzymes that can break things down that we don't. Hmm. Trees, bark, wood, whatever, is still made of carbon. It's still made of a lot of materials that we need to make us. But we don't – a lot of what plants are made of is cellulose, which we are not able to digest. We do not have that in our mm. guts to be able to digest cellulose. And so it is of no value to us because we can't digest it. But there are other organisms that can. And if you can break it down into small enough components, then you can rearrange those components to make the molecules that you need. Cool. Interesting. Um. Here's one I've wondered for a long time. How does siphoning work? It makes no sense to me. Magic. Great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it that one is actually more challenging to answer than you might realize. I there's the there's the basic answer that you'll find if you search online, and it is part of the answer, but it is not the whole answer. Because so basically, it has to do with air pressure. Uh, because in order to siphon, you generally need one spot, the spot that you're taking the water, the liquid from, to be higher than the spot that you're depositing it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so you have to have no air gaps in your hose or tube or whatever. Yeah. And then because the air pressure for the thing that's higher, there's slightly less, like the air pressure is different, right? There's slightly less, slightly more, and it actually ends up pushing the water all the way down. But that's not completely the story because I've watched someone, this was a number of years ago, who then tested this and did it in a vacuum chamber and the siphon still worked. <gasps> so it's Whoa. not just air pressure, but it was a lot, it was slower. So air pressure is a factor, but it's not the only thing. I think one of the components, and I don't remember what the whole thing is, but I think one of the components is also, remember how we talked about water molecules? There's a co the cohesion. They stick to each other. Yeah. Yes. They want to and stay so together. If, 
Yeah. And so if one water molecule is moving in someplace, it tugs on and pulls the other one. So I think that is a component. Again, it's not enough on its own, but there's, yeah, it's, it's very unique and very weird. Uh, But there's other times that aren't water where you see a similar effect. Like, have you ever seen, like, if you have like a chain that, uh, it could be just like a link chain or it could be like those old, like the little tiny metal beads that used to make like a necklace. You know what I'm yeah. talking about? The little, yeah. right? Like you can do one of those. And if you have it like in a cup and it's one big long chain and it's all like coiled up and you get it up and over the edge of the cup and you get it far enough down, then it will actually pull the yes. rest of the chain yes. down, right? So that's, Again, it's not exactly the same process. There's other things involved, but I, that's a that's a similar thing. Interesting. They're analogous to each other. Wow, that's so cool. Okay, I have another one. Um, okay. Why are cats' eyes a different shape? Like their pupils. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they tend to be like the like vertical slits. Yeah. Uh, well, the why question has multiple ways of approaching it. The short answer is because evolution. Mm. <laughs> I feel like you want more than that, though. Yep. I think if I remember correctly, the shape of them allows for light, like less light to pass through. Where it, so they're they're more able to see better in low light conditions than mm. we are with our round pupils. I think. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, (laughs) Here's one from our friend and listener, Jeremy. And he asks, um, how do helicopters even fly or planes when there are tons of metal and thousands of pounds of passengers and baggage? Once again, I'm going to say magic. (laughs) Uh, It has to do with this process, a, a thing that I'm sure you've heard of before called lift. An airplane is simpler than a helicopter, so we'll do the basics of that first. So an airplane wing is not like a normal shape. It actually is thicker in the front and narrower in the back, and that's on purpose. Basically what it does is its shape allows the air to pass over it at different rates. So, and I'm trying to remember what it is. I want to say that the air going over the top goes slower than the air on the bottom. It's one of, I don't remember which, and that creates a different air pressure. And so then there is a greater, a bigger pressure on the bottom of the wing and on the top of the wing, which pushes upwards. And that creates Ah. what we call lift. That's so cool. Have you seen Chicken Run? Long time ago. There's a chicken who has like some sort of like a Scottish accent, maybe or something like that. And she's like, thrust, we need thrust. And she keeps talking about thrust <laughs> as they're trying to figure out how to fly. And it's very cute. So That yeah. is funny. Um, and then the helicopter issue okay. is a little bit different because now you've got those essentially wings that are the blades and they're spinning around in a circle and they're actually pushing the air downwards. Oh, Right, because they're not flying forwards. But then yeah. because because of the rotation, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of an example where you may have seen this. I'm not sure. But like because it's rotating, 
the actual, the rest of the helicopter that isn't the blades is going to want to spin the opposite direction. It's Newton third, Newton's third law. Every action has an equal and opposite okay. reaction. Yeah. So that's why they have on the tail, the other little smaller propeller. What? Because that keeps it from spinning around in a circle all the time. That one is pushing in the opposite direction like of the rotation. Uh, kind of. Yeah. In the opposite direction that the blades that are spinning are trying to spin the main part of the helicopter. I didn't even know that why that little one was there. I thought it was just cute. That's it, so interesting. That's, that's why too. Yep. It's because yep. it's cute. Mm -hmm. Why does looking at the road help my car sickness? It's not so much the road as it is outside. What motion sickness is, is a, a motion sickness is the, the brain not being able to reconcile two different types of signals that it's receiving visual signals about your motion and vestibular signals about your motion. So mm. things about like how you're moving, basically you have an accelerometer in your head that your mm. body says, Hey, you're moving. Um, and when it can tell that you are physically moving through and I point to your ears because that's where it is. There's like yeah. fluid like in your ears that kind of figures that out, but your eyes aren't sending that same signal. The brain gets confused. It's like, wait, I don't, I don't understand. Like what uh, uh, you're moving. You're not moving. You're moving. You're not moving. And then it makes you feel motion sick because of that. And so if you're like reading in a car, which I cannot do because I get motion sick, yeah. then that's like my visual signals are not matching my physical signals. And so my brain freaks out. But if you look up and are looking out, now what you're doing is you're giving that same visual signal. We're like, oh, yes, we are moving. I can see things. They seem to be mm -hmm. passing at about the same rate that the internal sensors are also picking up. And so that is why that sometimes helps, although it doesn't always help for me. No, I'm not already always, like yeah. once you get like after a certain point, mm -hmm. it's like too late. I, I'm stuck. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Which is not I fun. had vertigo a couple of years ago. Oh, that was horrific. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. Well, because did they, 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 didn't they give you exercise? This is the wrong word, mm -hmm. but like things to do yeah. with your head and like motions to get the rocks out. Well, yeah, to the get to, to readjust yeah. the, yes. the inner vestibular system. Yeah. 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 It was wild. Um, how do smelling salts work? I don't know. I'm okay. I'm assuming that it's like a very strong smell that supposedly brings you back because your brain Not is weird. like, oh no, we need to get away from this thing. It's going to kill us. Oh, that maybe would be like my a, guess. Yeah, light response of some sort. Interesting. That would be my guess. Um, why is it that when you take the bark off of a tree, it kills it? Taking the bark off of a tree does not automatically kill it. There are some trees that actually intentionally lose bark. However, taking too much bark off of a tree, it basically think of the bark kind of like the tree's skin. It's the exterior, exterior part that protects it from anything outside that could be bad um, and that could hurt it. And so one of the things like... Pests, 
insects, things that might want to like eat it or attack it, fungi that might want to try and grow on it. Mm. Um, trees have, so the interior to a plant and trees especially, they have these two different structures called xylem and phloem. And one of them, the, let's see if I remember, I think the xylem is what the water moves through and the phloem is what the nutrients move through. It, it's kind of like blood in a sense. It's not really, mm. it's not, but so like the, the leaves make glucose and then they have to get to all the rest of the living cells for them to get that energy. And so, um, but that is very rich in like sugars and things. And so that's why other organisms would want to take them from the tree. And so that is, in, is something that the bark is protecting the tree from is keeping other organisms from trying to get at those things. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, why is it that sometimes when you have a cold drink, it sweats on the outside mm. when I didn't put any water on the outside? Yeah, that's condensation from the air. Usually that happens when there's a pretty big temperature difference where you've got a really, really cold drink and relatively warm air because, and the statement I'm going to say is technically incorrect, but it's the easiest way to talk about it. Warm air holds more moisture than cold air does. So mm. if you've got warmer air, there's more water vapor that is in, in the atmosphere. And when it comes in contact with the really, really cold surface of your glass, that water vapor gets colder and condenses. It goes from a gas to a liquid. And it does that, excuse me, on the, on the outside of the glass. Hmm. That's really cool. Um, here's another one from Jeremy. How does camouflage work like chameleons, cuttlefish, oh. and such? Uh, it depends. The different organisms have different ways of doing that. The cuttlefish, I think, is similar to the octopus. They have actual cells called chromatophores, which have different um, pigments in them, and they can actually, like, change the size of those pigments. Ooh, uh, like what? So, like, the, they can, like, change the size of, and I don't remember if they're in vacuoles or what, but the things that are holding the pigment, so they can, like, expand the one that has kind of the brownish one and <gasps> shrink the one that has the reddish one or whatever. Oh. And so they're controlling those on the surface of their skin and in those different, they can do them in a lot of different patterns to actually cool. change what they look like. Yeah. Um, I think chameleons also use chromatophore, chromatophores, I think. Um, yeah, so if that's the type of camouflage we're talking about, yeah. that's, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty that's cool. so cool. But do their eyes have to look at what the thing is or is there something more like subconscious is maybe not the right yeah, word, but like- I don't, I don't know. I can tell you that again, I don't know if this is cuttlefish as well, but octopuses- yeah, have, they're cool. They're super cool. But they have, this is not the technical term, but I'm going to call it a non-central nervous system. Mm. Each individual uh, arm or leg yeah. or whatever you want to call it, in a sense, has its own brain. It can think independently. It doesn't and make its own independent decisions. 
It doesn't have so to like cool. connect to a central brain. So, and I, it might, it, I, I know it's at least each arm. It might even be each like little suction cup thing that I don't remember, That's so cool. but like, yeah, it's, it's a, a distributive nervous system mm. as opposed to a central nervous system in that sense. That's so cool. And so does it, so no, I don't think the eyes have to see it Yeah, because like they can do whatever it is they need to do independently, I think. I love it. Is the five second rule real? Yes. Depending on what the, yeah. Depending on what the thing is, (gasps) depending on what the thing is that, that has fallen. Like if you have a peanut butter and jelly open faced sandwich and it falls jelly side down, you don't really want to do that. Yeah. But I, we actually tested this in college in my microbiology class. Really? So Oh yeah, it was super fun. And it, it, I mean, it depends on what you mean by the five second rule, but basically any bacteria that you might pick up by dropping something on the ground, first of all, the ground is relatively clean depending on where you are. Like mm. it may have dirt, but dirt in and of itself is actually not that yeah. dangerous, Yeah. right? Um, yeah. What we're usually worried about are pathogens, things that could make us sick, which is usually bacteria. And there could be a few other things as well. But yes, you could pick up bacteria. But again, the wetter and stickier something is, the more likely it is that you're going to pick something up. Um, But also, even if you did pick something up off of the ground, you're going to immediately eat it. And it won't have had time to get big enough to oh. actually cause you to get sick. Yeah. Right. Like, okay. whereas if you have something that went bad, like your milk spoiled, like all of the milk spoiled. So there's all sorts of yeah. bacteria in the whole thing that have been growing and that's why it smells bad and all those things. And so yeah. when you ingest that, there's a bunch of it that you're ingesting. Whereas you pick the thing up off the floor. Yeah. Okay. You probably picked up some bacteria, but not that much. Interesting. That's really cool. Um, does gum really stay in our stomachs for seven no. years? No. <laughs> cool. Amazing. Um, okay. So I go to baseball games at the Mariners stadium sometimes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when they have the retractable roof mm-hmm. and I've been told that it can be warmer if the roof is on, which I don't totally understand because mm-hmm. there's still like open air on the sides. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. why is it still warmer with the roof on, even though it's not close? It's only outside. warmer with the roof on when it's relatively cold outside. If it's, uh, well, if it's not sunny, okay, I guess is the better way yeah. to put it. Think of the roof like a blanket, okay, or like clouds. It's the same thing that clouds, like think about the winter here in the Northwest. Yeah, yeah. The clear days are really a, cold. The clear days are colder than the yeah. cloudy days because what the clouds do or what the roof does or what a blanket does is it actually traps that heat and keeps it from going farther away. And so any heat that's produced in the stadium, like all the body heat from all of the fans that are there, all the restaurants that are producing heat, all of that stuff, right? So all of that gets trapped in the roof and not all of it because the sides are open. So it's not like, oh, wow, now we, it's basically 80 degrees in here when it's 40 degrees outside. Like, no, but it will be warmer with the roof closed than with the roof open. Interesting. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. 
That's cool. Yeah. Um, does sugar really make kids more hyper? No. <gasps> Why? It does not. From my understanding, from what I've read about the studies, is that, uh, I mean, sugar can give you energy, but it's not like a, it gives you energy right away sort of a thing that actually leads to hyperactivity. What typically what they have found is the things that tend to make kids hyper are things that are already high energy, like a birthday party or mm. whatever, when people are doing a lot of crazy things where there is also sugar. And so it's a confirmation bias sort of a thing where, uh -huh. yes, oh my gosh, they gave them sugar and now they're bouncing off the walls and da, 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 da. When really you gave them sugar about Social another- energy. Like, with mm -hmm, Within another thing, or they were with a whole bunch of other kids, or they got really excited about whatever the thing was that also had the sugar the with it. Track. Mm-hmm. And so they've actually done some, they've done studies to try and control for that. And the the amount of hyperactivity directly related to sugar intake is negligible. Interesting. Now, I don't remember I, I would have to do some looking to find that particular study that I've read, but yeah. That's really cool. Um, why do things look black and white in dim lighting? Oh, yeah, because the way our eyes work is on the back of our eyes is the retina, which you've probably heard of before. Yeah. And we have two types of cells in the in the retina that are light sensitive, rods and cones. Okay. We have three types of cones. Those are the three that detect color, red, green, and blue, RGB. Okay. Okay. Rods only detect uh, whether there's light there or not. So it's essentially black and white, essentially. Um, but they detect amounts of light, like how much light is there. Okay. We have almost all of the cones that we have are in a central part of our retina called the fovea, which is almost directly behind where the pupil is. So it's basically in our direct line of sight. That's where all of our cones are that detect mm -hmm. color. All the rest of the retina is the rods. And the rods are really, really good. And they are sensitive to lower amounts of light than the cones are. So when you're in really, really low light, the rods are the ones that are active because they are sensing how much light there is in general, regardless of its color, regardless of its wavelength. Whereas the cones are only sensitive to very specific colors and very specific wavelengths of light. Mm. And so it's because at low, low light, you can't activate those cones, but the rods, that's what they're designed for. As a side note, also, which you may not have known that this was a thing either, because the cones are only in the fovea in the center and the rods are everywhere else, you actually do not have a great sense of color in your peripheral vision either. We did a lab what? in college. It, it was very, very cool. We did a lab in college where you're like, put your head on a thing and there's like this, like a, a semicircle, a half circle with yeah. like degree measurements. And then we had different like on the end of a straw or something, different colored dots. And you would have to look straight forward and then you would take the colored dot and start on the edge and move it forward until you could figure out what the color was. <gasps> and 
in the edge. Oh, you couldn't God. actually figure out what the color was until it showed up. And I don't remember exactly where it was, but oh, that's what we were goodness. measuring. And so, yeah. And, but again, this is where our brains compensate for that. Like we don't yeah. notice we, we see in color everywhere we look. Well, yeah, because yeah. everywhere we're looking is yeah. directly focused where those cone cells are. And our brain just fills in the details of, well, everything else is color too. That seems when a lot really like it's not sensing your, the color. That seems a lot like plugging your nose and eating. But like, if you already know the flavor mm. of what you're eating, then mm -hmm. it fills in. But like, if you mm -hmm. don't know, that's where you, it's like harder to tell. Yeah. The yeah. Difference. Oh, or did, cause you listen to uh, office ladies podcast too, right? Yes. The Skittles did you hear thing? the one that, with the Skittles. Yeah. Oh, they're scented. That was wild. Well, they're yeah. Flavored, some of the they're only scented. Right. Which it's yeah. more complicated than that because a large part of flavor is scent. They're actually sure. connected to each other, but sure. yes. Yeah. But yeah, that's a similar thing. Yeah. Why does helium make our voices higher? Because helium is less dense than air. And so when you've inhaled the helium, it's moving up and it's pushing up through your vocal cords. And so it's actually changing their shape a little bit. And is it actually bad for you? I mean, if that were to be all that you inhaled, yes, because then you wouldn't be inhaling any oxygen. But like the whole parent thing of like, don't do that. It's bad for your body. I mean, only in that it's depriving you of oxygen. The helium itself is not harmful. Okay, cool. Um, why would, why does salt make someone float or float easier? You mean when there's slow, when there's salt in the water? Yeah. Yeah. It changes, it changes your buoyancy. Um, let's see. As you dissolve more salt in the water, the water becomes more dense. Like as a, oh. like the, technically the H2O, but the water becomes more dense because there's more stuff in it. Oh, and that so, makes sense. So, yeah. No, that makes sense then. Yeah. And yeah. Cool. Okay, great. I love it. You got the rest. Yes, I totally did. Yeah. Um, how the heck does my instant pot work? Like, why is it You're that when I pressure cook something, it cooks it quicker or cooks it like it's been slow cooking for hours? I know yep. that pressure makes a difference, but it, that makes no sense to me. Yep. So this is similar to some of the things that we've been talking about already, where like vapor pressure and things like that. So as you increase the temperature, you, or sorry, as you increase the pressure, yeah. you actually increase the temperature at which water boils. So what that means is you can actually raise the temperature a lot more under high pressure and still have water be liquid at which will transfer that heat a lot <gasps> more quickly. Oh, cause I had wondered like, well, if this is, if it's changing the temperature, then I was trying to figure out like, well, wouldn't we just cook things on a higher heat? But when you cook things on a higher heat, you don't get the same effect. So it's actually mm -hmm. changing. Oh, okay. That's very mm -hmm. cool. Nice. Mm -hmm. um, do whales drink water? What do you mean by drink? Like hydrating, drinking, gulp, gulp, gulp. <laughs> I mean, they ingest water, yes. Is it, like, do their bodies need it? Like, our bodies need water? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they can drink salt water? Mm-hmm. 
Ugh, that sounds gross. Okay. I don't want to be a whale. <laughs> I mean, they Never have mind. to like have special things to like filter it out and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Ryan, we've been going for a while. We have almost yeah, an hour. Yeah, I've at this asked point. you, do you want do you want to know how many questions I've asked you? I think we're over the 20 that I thought, but for the record, I was watching our time. Yeah. And uh you and I paused for a minute with our recording and when we were at about the length of our normal podcast we were only at 15 yeah so, so your guess was much closer than mine i've asked you 30 questions okay which i okay. feel really good about but definitely still yep. not 50 and we are way nope. over our normal time that we go um oh, yes. i'm gonna ask you one final question and then i think we're gonna okay. call it so that people don't die okay like i was gonna say boredom but this is actually fascinating but it's more like I mean, I you think know, at so. a certain point, we have but, to call it. Um, yep. What does it mean when Mercury is in retrograde? You said I can't. <laughs> you said that I can't do any screen shares, but it's the last question. Can I do a okay, screen yes. share, please? Yeah, can, can I do, do a yes, screen share? Yes, you can. Okay. I'll give you special permission. <laughs> okay, Ryan, oh, fine. Okay, you sure. Can screen share. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's visual, so I mean, I gotta, I gotta show you. So. This is a program called Stellarium. It's a freeware program. It's very awesome. It simulates the night sky or the day sky in this case, because you'll see there's the sun. Mercury gets really close oh. to the sun. It never gets very, very far away from the sun. So I'm trying to simplify this for time. That checks out. It's closer, right? you know? Yeah. Yeah. So here's Mercury, which yeah. I've got the little crosshairs on it. And when you go from one night to the next, okay? So if I go from, so this is, uh, here in December when we're recording yeah. this. And as I go, you'll notice that Mercury changes its position. Oh, oh yeah. Right? From night to night. Okay. Yes. Which that's its orbit, which is yeah. great. But if we do this just right, you should notice. Oh, wrong button. Oops, if I hit the right button. Oh, it just went down below the horizon. There it is. Now it's, I see Mercury. But it but now it's going backwards. Do you see that? It's going the opposite direction from the direction that it was going. Yeah, because it's, it's going orbiting, but we see it go to the right, yep. and then we see it go to the left. So it's going to the left right now, and then it's going to hit the part where it's the farthest away in its orbit. Yep. And then it's going to turn around. Now it's, it's going to go loop. the other direction. Oh, and then it's mm -hmm. on the far side of the sun from us. Yep. And yep. then it so, comes back to closer to us than the sun is. Yep. Okay. Keep hitting the wrong button. Right? Yep. I see but Then it goes it. and, and it turns back. and goes the other direction. Yep. And right? now it's on this side of the us compared to the sun. Yep. Okay. That is what we call retrograde. So half when of the When Mercury changes direction and goes basically backwards. So it's moving in a direction it stops, it appears to like slow down, turn around, and then it'll come back and go that same direction again. Now, Mercury is pretty extreme because it's so close to the sun that it almost has just like a back yeah. and forth motion. Whereas a lot of the others like Jupiter or Saturn will mostly go in one direction and then it'll kind of turn a little bit and then go back the rest of the way again because of the earth in its orbit. Because when we're looking out, so the Earth goes around faster than, say, 
Jupiter does. And so Jupiter's out here, and the Earth is here. Yeah. Right. So it's going to be moving across, moving across, moving across, moving across. We catch up to it. Now we move around the other way. And now it looks um, like Jupiter's moving the opposite way from uh, our perspective. Now we catch up again and it's still moving. So that's what it means to be retrograde. Retro meaning backwards or behind or previous, right? And grade, I don't know, grade. That's such but like a stretch to even call that backwards though, because it's it's still going in one orbit. Well, it's but just from we're our perspective, part of the orbit. Yes, but remember, a lot of these things, especially when it comes to astronomy, come from thousands of years ago when people observed the night sky and didn't know what they were looking at. And so you that you have that name retrograde because it was moving and then it turned around and then it went forward again. So it looked like it was moving backwards. It was moving retro. Retrograde. Oh so what I'm right? hearing so, is it is self-centered and old an old way of thinking. No. <laughs> That's not what I said. But this sounds like such an old way of thinking to me, like because it's backwards. It's like, well, it's, yeah, it's backwards compared to like us, but it's not all about yeah. us. No, and that's true, <laughs> but it is still something that we observe. Sure. We do still observe that motion. Okay. And I'm it's something about that we have to explain. And oh, I know what you're thinking of. <laughs> and that's what makes it feel like, mm, I don't know. Right. So <laughs> it is a real thing. Yes. Mercury can be in retrograde. Jupiter can be in retrograde. Yeah. What's not a real thing is that that has any influence on our lives whatsoever. Yeah. I think probably less influence than the moon does. Oh, yeah. Because it's farther away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Thank you for showing me that. And thank you for You're answering welcome. my 31 questions. I do have a um, podcast reflection for you. Oh, oh, okay. I, I did not know this was coming. Each unit, you've done a unit re reflection for me as a student, yeah. as a learner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to know, you know, you in your profession are a teacher mm -hmm. and on this podcast yep. are also a teacher. So I yep. want you to think about your time on this podcast and okay. let me know what are some things as a teacher that you found interesting. things as a teacher that I found interesting. Yeah. There are several. One would be <laughs> sometimes the amount that you don't know. <laughs> and yeah. you've, you've said that before too. You're like, I literally don't know anything about that. And so that sometimes that's a little surprising to me, not all the time, but sometimes like, oh, Okay, you don't even know that piece. Okay, we can go back to there. You're not not in a like, I can't believe you don't know that. But yeah. it, it one of the things that is hard as a teacher, one of the things that is hard as an expert in whatever the thing is you're an expert in, and I mm -hmm. probably shouldn't use the word expert because I don't think I'm an expert, but when you know more about a thing than the average person knows about that thing, it's easy to forget what things people don't know, what is common knowledge and what isn't. Um, so I think that, that's interesting. Also interesting for me was your ability to make connections when we would talk about one thing in one lesson and then another thing like five lessons later and you would tie it back and mm -hmm. your ability to reason your way 
to a reasonable conclusion, especially in those pre-assessments. I would mm. ask you something like, I have no idea. And then you would start to think and you would say, well, if it's this way and then this thing, and then that sort of makes sense and whatever, because I don't see that very much in my classroom. And I think there's a couple mm. reasons for that. I think one, it's because the people I'm dealing with are younger. They have just less life experience to be able to do some of that reasoning. And two, I also think most of the time when people do that reasoning, they do it internally, not externally. So I, <laughs> I know that I have students who are doing that, but they're doing that in their head. They're not saying that out loud. Yeah. And because you and I are having this as a dialogue-ish, you're sharing those things and I'm forcing you <laughs> to share those mm -hmm. things in your thinking and to make that visible in a sense so that we can see that and experience that. And so that yeah. part I think was cool. That's so cool. What are some things that you found challenging? You're basically just turning it right back around on me. Yes. I'm I exactly, I'm literally <laughs> reading the questions that you asked me. <laughs> I think some of the things that have been challenging about this podcast for me is uh, sometimes not going into as much detail as I might want to. Mm. Sometimes figuring out the best way to explain something without all the background information. As a teacher, I build the background information so that when we get to the topic, I know which information the students have to pull from and that I can reference. Whereas often in our lessons, I can reference some things, but a lot of things I can't. So I have to approximate or find a different way to explain it that doesn't require that background information or whatever. That was definitely a challenge. I think me, because accuracy matters to me a lot, there's been an underlying fear of mine this whole time that I'm going to misexplain something or say mm. something wrong or get one of my facts wrong or whatever. And so I think that that has been a challenge for me as well, both to recognize that I am going to get things wrong because I'm not perfect and I don't have a perfect understanding about all of these things, but also to do my due diligence when I can to look things up and see if I know the answers. That was one of the things you probably noticed even in this lesson where I gave a few more of those caveats with things yeah. because I wasn't allowed to look stuff up, which <laughs> normally I double check and I spend time. We cut that out of the, our, our yeah. episodes, but I spend sometimes 20 minutes or like looking things up and double checking and trying to find these things to make sure that what I think is true is actually true and, you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a challenge for mm -hmm. me. Cool. That's really interesting. Um, the final question we usually have is um, what concepts do you think you might remember or stick with you? So we could say this would be teaching concepts or maybe like something about science that you learned in this process. Um, kind of what, however you want to interpret that question. Yeah. Well, the first thing that came to my mind is neither of the things that you said. That's okay. But would be for like, which units do I remember the most? Mm, yeah. And for me, hot and cold is one that stands out to mm. me a lot. I think one, because it was really fun, at least for me, I really enjoyed it because it's, uh, 
and I hope this isn't insulting, but to me, it's relatively simple. I don't think we were really oh, explaining yeah. super complex things. Yeah. But also it's very foundational. The ideas in that unit, I think, are really helpful in understanding lots of things about the world around us. Mm. And there was a little bit of physics and there was a little bit of chemistry and there was a little bit of biology. Like there are little bits of everything. So I think that one was really cool. Um, so that's definitely one that stuck out to me. Obviously the solar system one, because I really <laughs> like astronomy, like that one was fun. Um, also, I think the houseplants one was yeah, one that, that was, was really unique and really fun and asking questions about biology that not necessarily in the way that I always would have thought about them, which I think mm. was interesting for me and fun for me. Um, yeah, those are the ones that at least that stand out for me. I d not that the other ones weren't interesting or weren't enjoyable, yeah. but those are the ones that come to mind first when I think back on our podcast. Nice. That's awesome. And finally, what does your shirt say and what does it mean? <laughs> so it says, uh, oh, and you can't probably see the bottom of it. So you're no, missing the No, I can the only see line. the top text box. Yeah. So my sister, one of my sisters got this from me. So it's two atoms. And one atom is saying, I lost an electron. And the other atom is saying, <laughs> are you positive? <laughs> it's a science fun. <laughs> but also the reason Carrie got it for me also is because this is the shirt that Peter Parker wears in the first of the newer really? Spider-Man movies. Yeah, Tom Holland oh, wears the shirt at, in the and I don't I never remember because they're all similar names. Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man, I want to go home. I don't remember what they all, they all have to do with home. Whichever one was the first one, I think he okay. wears it in that one, I think. So That's so fun. I love it's, it. It's both a comic book nerd. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really a comic book nerd, but like, you know, Marvel yeah. comic book, but also it's a science joke, a science pun, which I, I love a good pun. So Love it. So fun. Yeah. Well, Ryan. Yes, Cheryl. This is all the time we have for you to teach me things. <laughs> I will no longer teach you anything ever again. Great. Sounds amazing. Um, but this has been <laughs> lovely and I'm going to miss this so much, but, um, yep. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for being willing to be vulnerable and to ask questions that sometimes I know felt stupid, but I don't think ever were. And thank you to our listeners who have listened along with us and hopefully learned a few things and enjoyed it. The good news or bad news, depending on your perspective, mm -hmm. is it's on the internet, which means Ooh. we're still here, even though we're not still here. <laughs> we are out there in the world. And so you can go back. If you're just finding us here at the end, you've, we've got lots of other episodes, both on YouTube and on whatever podcast thing you want to listen to, Spotify, whatever. Um, we would, would love you to still listen, but that's it for us. We're done. Yep. Let's clean up the classroom and go home. All right. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Slept Through Science or on Twitter at Slept Science. If you have dumb science questions like I do, please send them to us. You can email us at isleptthroughscience at gmail.com or you can even send us a voice memo and we'll play it on the podcast. 
please rate and review our podcast to tell other people what you think about it. Subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode and share about our podcast on social media. Thank you to Beth Reed Miller for the artwork. You can check out more of Beth's artwork at Beth is something. Okay, great. Thanks. Bye. Ah, The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you.